many remember when you were a kid growing up wanting to be something specific, whether it was a fireman, a policeman, a, a doctor, a lawyer, a pro athlete. You were a kid, you really knew this is what you wanted to be when you grow up. Let me see your hand. Most of us, okay. Out of every one of you, just raise your hands. How many of you are you're glad for unanswered prayers? You're glad it didn't turn out the way you hoped. Yeah, yeah, most of us, because we had these desires, these wishes, these wants. And I know I'm a preacher's kid, grew up as a preacher's kid, but uh, I didn't really grow up just necessarily wanting to be a preacher. I knew it was a, a high and a holy calling. And I only wanted, if, if that was what God wanted for me, I wanted it to be right. What I really wanted as a kid, which was really weird, but uh, if you would have asked me when I was younger, what did I want to be when I grew up? I said, well, I'll, I don't know how you make money on this, but I wanted to own horses. I said, I want to have horses and I want to have a hamburger stand because I wanted to give free hamburgers to all of my friends and family. Now, I don't have the hamburger stand. Sorry. I do have some horses, but that's not going to get you a hamburger. You're just going to go hungry. Uh, but, and, and I don't have a Tesla either. So for anybody that happens to follow me on Instagram, my Instagram got hacked. I don't own a Tesla. I don't invest in cryptocurrency. None of that's true. So if you have some special set of skills that can hack the person that hacked me, I would like to talk to you afterwards because I'm blocked out of my Instagram. I need somebody with a special set of skills. Uh, talk to me afterwards. But the fact is we all probably wanted to be something when we were younger. And the problem that most people have is they want something or they want someone to kind of help them discover their purpose or the reason that we're put here on this earth. And here's why many people never really discover their purpose, why they, they never really discover why they're here on this earth. And it's because they're looking within to try to discover that purpose. You'll never find your purpose looking within. You'll find your purpose connecting to Jesus, the one who created you. Because Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's masterpiece or workmanship. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. The only way you discover your purpose is connecting to your creator. And that word masterpiece in this scripture literally is the Greek word poema, which is where we get the word poem or work of art. So every single one of us are a work of art. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, my husband's a piece of work, all right, but that's not what I'm talking about. The fact is we are all a masterpiece created by God to fulfill his purpose here on this earth. It's our job to lean into him and to discover what that is. Last week, we started this series called, Are You an Influencer? A lot of people want to be influencers today. My question to you is, are you an influencer? Not a social media influencer, but is your life making an impact and an influence on other people? We started this study in the book of Titus, and that's where we are. We're going to be in chapter two of Titus today. But this is a book that was written from the Apostle Paul to Titus, uh, this young pastor, and he was sent to the island called Crete to be able to help a group of believers who had kind of gone a bit off the reservation. And Paul was telling Titus that the way to bring life change in people's life is to live a life of influence. He said, if you want to bring change to the people of Crete, then live a life of influence. And so we're going to look here in chapter two at some practical ways that we can actually be influential 
in other people's lives. So in the next few moments together, we're going to determine who we need to listen to and who we don't need to listen to. Because that's what Paul was telling Titus. There are certain people that you need to allow to speak into your life in order for you to have lasting impact and lasting influence. Because we all know there's a ton of information out there. Everybody's an expert on everything, right? Doesn't matter what the topic is. Doesn't matter what the subject is. There's an expert on one side and an expert on the other side. They'll tell you all about how you should live your life. If you, if you are a parent, then you remember when you had a child, there were plenty of people that decided to enter into your life and tell you how to raise your child. They would tell you the difference between formula or breast milk. You needed to breastfeed that baby because that's liquid gold. And there are people that they'll swear on one side or the other, or you got to make sure you use cloth diapers and not regular diapers because you're destroying the planet with regular diapers. And we don't want to destroy the planet. Nobody wants to do that, right? There are people that will tell you, you need to vaccinate your child and other people tell you not to. But if you love your child, you're going to vaccinate your child, they'll tell you. Everybody's got an opinion. You got to put your child on some kind of a schedule. Make sure they're always on a schedule. Otherwise, they'll be dysfunctional in life. And whatever you do, don't let them sleep with you because they'll never be successful if you let them sleep with you, right? You've heard all of that. They, they tell us all these things. But who do we listen to? How do we get through the clutter and all the noise and determine who to listen to and who not to listen to? And that's what Paul is telling Titus. And I promise you, if you'll just kind of listen in on their conversation, then you're going to find some information that you probably won't go 48 hours without needing. Titus chapter two, verse number one. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and endurance. Verse three, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. All right, here's the first point I just want to make. Number one, in order to be influential, in order to have impact, you need to learn to listen to the mature. Can I get an amen from all the mature? You need to learn to listen to the mature. Now, let's define terms. Because in the Bible, you are actually considered young up until you turn 60. So that's good news for most of you. Not so good for the rest of us. But it didn't mean over the hill just because you reached 60. It just meant you're older. And I, I need that because you know, I'm nearing seniors discounts at McDonald's right now. But, uh, but age, what it does, it gives you perspective and it gives you experience. And this is the challenge of being young. You've got the energy, you've got the strength, but you don't have the experience. Proverbs 20, 29 says, the glory of young men is their strength. The splendor of old men is their gray head. Now, I've got a few gray hairs popping in here, but gray hair should be a sign of wisdom that comes from walking with God. And the more we walk with him, the more we listen to him, the more we follow his commands, then the more wisdom we should have. And what happens is the more good choices that we make, the more we produce a blessed life to be able to live. And Paul tells Timothy or, or to Titus to teach sound doctrine. And literally what he's saying there is to teach healthy teaching, something that's healthy for life. 
a teaching that brings health and brings life and brings harmony to people. Uh, but just because you're older doesn't necessarily mean you're wiser. Because I bet we all know people who have been Christians for 20 years. And then we know others that have been Christian for one year, 20 times. They just go through the same thing, same cycle, never learning the real lessons, never really becoming mature in the faith. Uh, and I'm not talking about just being perfect, but I'm talking about making decisions, uh, a lifestyle that, that is really impacted by the gospel. Now, what Paul tells uh, Titus is that the older women are to teach those who are younger. And what he tells them to teach are issues of character and issues regarding the family. Character and family. And what, he, what he's doing is, is he is pointing out the fact that these things are what really make you influential in life. Because you can have a successful business, but if your family's a wreck, you have no peace. You can, you can have a business that's fallen apart, but if your family's intact, then you still have peace. So the, the character, the issues of character and the issues of family are more important than anything else. And to touch on that little phrase about wives being subject to your husbands, we're going to lean in and go there just for a second. But the Greek word there, the Greek word submissive or subject to your husbands is hupotasso, which literally means uh, submissive or allow the husband to lead the home. It doesn't mean that the wife is the doormat. In fact, what Paul's first encouragement to married couples is in Ephesians 5.21, when he says we should submit to one another in the fear of God. That's the first groundwork. And what every happy couple will tell you is that a happy couple is happy because they have learned to put the other first. The husband puts the wife first and the wife puts the husband first. And it's almost a race to see who can bless the other one more. A happy couple is not one serving the other and the other not serving. It's both serving one another well. And when you do that well, then there's happiness and there's peace and your home will flourish. Your home will be blessed when you put the other first. And the best people to teach this are couples who have lived it, have the experience it, they have the experience and they can tell the younger couples how to do it. Look at verse number six, Titus 2, 6 says, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example. Notice that phrase, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Here's the second thing about living a life of influence. I need to live as an example. Now, my mom told me I would always be good for something, even if it was a bad example. Okay, maybe she didn't say that. But uh, all of us are an example. You just have to decide whether you're going to be a good example or whether you're going to be a bad example. Every single one of us should choose to set an example. The Greek language there literally means to leave an impression. So what kind of an impression are you leaving? What kind of an impression do you leave? Because the truth is, Every single one of us, when we walk out of this room today, we will have left an impression here today. You will have left an impression on the people that you interacted with. You will have left an impression with the people around you by the way you worshiped. You will have left an impression by the way you 
listen today, you will have left an impression by the way you courteously drive out of the parking lot and prefer one another. Or if you choose to run somebody down and you know, beat them to the exit, then you will leave an impression as well. And you may get some sign language. I don't know. I meant peace. The fact is, we leave an impression everywhere we go. My dad used to say something to me and my brothers every morning before we went to school. He would say, be good, be kind, be careful, study hard. Don't let anybody steal your joy. So when I had my kids every day before I took them to school, be good, be kind, be careful, study hard. Don't let anybody steal your joy. A few years ago, I was taking my granddaughter to school. And I told her, I said, River, I said, be good, be kind, be careful, study hard, and don't let anybody steal your joy. And she said, my daddy says that to me. I thought, well, I wonder where he got that. See, if we want to leave an impression, if we want to make an impact in people's life, the power of setting an example doesn't mean we do one right thing one time. It means you do the right thing over and over again because a positive pattern of life is what builds character. And there's one thing that causes us to grow, to spiritually grow more than anything else in our life, and that's our commitments. Everybody say commitment. Because we live in a world today where people don't want to make commitments. I mean, come on, even the guy that Bryce called, well, well I don't know. I mean, who wants to make a commitment to a survey? You know, every one of us. How many of you would have hung up? Survey? Oh, yeah, I'm out. I'm out. Sorry, I don't have time for a survey. I don't, have a, I don't have time to commit to your survey or your thoughts. or your, No, no, we, we have a problem with commitment. And there are four types of commitments that people make. Number one is no commitment. And you say, well, that's not really a commitment. Yes, it is. It's a commitment to no attachments. It's a commitment to no commitment. And the person's guiding emotion here is fear. A fear of committing drives their lives so they never make a commitment. And here's the problem. Here's what's sad about it. The person that commits to nothing becomes nothing in life. So I challenge you, don't be the person who never commits. The second type of commitment is the half-hearted commitment. And that's the person who... Uh, gives lip service to commitment. They talk about commitment, but they never really follow through. They're the one that's got one foot in the boat, and one foot on the dock, and you know that's a painful place to live. It's not going to be pretty. You may have a few uh, advances in your life, but you never really have any big victories because you're just half-hearted committed. The third type of commitment is bad commitment. Bad commitment. This is the type of people that uh, they're committed to something, but it's just nothing that enriches their life. You can't argue that they're committed because, come on, every single one of us probably knows somebody that's, I mean, they're, they're all in when it comes to gaming, right? They will play for hours upon hours upon hours. They will wear a diaper just to keep from having to go to the bathroom. You can't argue with their commitment. You can't argue with the object of their commitment. And then there are people that are committed to sports teams, right? There are some people so committed to sports teams, they will do anything. They are die-hard fans. You can't argue their level of commitment, but you might argue what they're committed to. And then you've got people who are committed to certain hobbies. We commit to hobbies, things that 
you know, aren't going to really change our life. Just bad commitments. But the fourth type of commitment is godly commitment. And this is where we lay down our desires and we pick up the cross and we follow Jesus, a godly commitment. First Kings 8:61 says, may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord, our God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands. May we be fully committed. So let me ask you, are you fully committed today? Are you fully committed to the commands of the Lord? Are you fully committed? Or are you no commitment, half-hearted commitment, or bad commitment? If you're godly commitment, if that's where you are, then there are certain things that usually come with that. Because when we make a decision to follow Christ, part of that commitment involves being committed to his house. Right? That's why you're here today. We're committed to the house. We're committed to the body of Christ. If we're committed to Christ, we're committed to his body. It's impossible to be committed to one without the other. But there are a lot of people that try to dress up a lack of commitment with spiritual language. And I haven't talked to anybody today, so I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody here today. But I've had this conversation with different people, and it varies in specifics. But I've had this kind of conversation with people over the years many, many times. And it goes something like this. Love Freedom Church, but it's not my calling to commit. Okay, so what's your calling? Well, my calling, you know, I just wake up on Sunday morning and pray and ask God to tell me where to go to church. And, and then I just go wherever he tells me. Great. I think I'm going to do that next Sunday. Wait a minute, you... You can't do that. Well, yeah. Well, what, what would happen to freedom? Well, maybe everybody will do the same thing. Maybe everybody at freedom will just wake up, just pray and ask God. To, and we all go somewhere. Well, well, you can't do that. Well, what would happen to freedom? See, well, what you discover real quick is that this person wants me to be committed and you to be committed so they don't have to be committed. Right? It sounds real spiritual. I'm going to wake up and pray and just wherever God tells me to go. The fact is, it's very selfish and very carnal. So if you happen to say that today, I'm sorry, but uh, I didn't hear you. So I'm not looking at anybody specific. But Romans 12:1 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is full commitment. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Commitment is pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship because your commitments will determine your pattern of life and the impression that your life leaves. So I challenge you, be committed. And speaking of, there's a membership class coming up uh, December 4th, right? Not this Sunday, but next in 1145 service. And you can all be a part of it if you're really committed, if you've got what it takes. Okay, here's the last thing. Worship team, if you would come back. Last two verses I want to deal with today. Verse 9 and 10 says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Better translation would be employees. Employees be subject to their masters. Employees be subject to their employers. Uh, sometimes we feel like they're our masters, right? None of my staff say anything. <laughs> try, not, try to please them and not talk back to them. Not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. 
so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. That scripture kind of blows me away. It says that the way we work will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So here's the third point. I need to work like a believer because believers should work in a way that make Jesus more attractive. We should be the best employees at any company, not the worst and not blame it on, I need time to pray or I'm late because I got caught up in worship. No, don't, don't do that. That doesn't make Jesus more attractive. When you're early and you stay a little late and you work harder than anybody else and you produce more than anybody else, you make Jesus more attractive. So I should work like a believer. Paul's exhortation is that they should work in such a way that makes the gospel more attractive. Because every single one of us know this. Unfortunately, we all know people that have said, I'll never go to church or I'll never be a Christian because of so-and-so. They're just a hypocrite, right? We've all heard that. And that can be discouraging if I didn't know this. It could be discouraging that there's somebody that's not in church because our example, our influence was not so good. But when I stand here today and I look across this audience or I look into that camera and I envision the people that are watching the service online, I recognize that every single one of us that have made a decision to follow Christ did that in part because of somebody else's example. We did it because we saw faith in our mother. We saw faith in our family. We saw faith in a friend. We saw faith in somebody that was going through a difficult time and they put their trust in Jesus and Jesus came through for them. Or they came, went through the darkest period of their life and it didn't appear that anything worked out, but they continued to keep their trust and their faith in Christ. And that had such an impact upon your life that you decided to follow Jesus. You see, we are here because somebody's impression changed us. So my question to you today, are you an influencer? Are you living your life in a way that's influencing other people, that's making Jesus attractive? Do people look at you and say, I want to serve the Jesus you serve. I want to know the Jesus that you know. I want to worship the Jesus that you worship because I see something impactful about your life. That's the way we should be living our lives. Now, I know it's really easy for us to say, oh, no, no, people shouldn't judge me. But they're judging you. Because everywhere you go, your life makes an impression. So what kind of an impression is it? We had the honor, the beautiful honor, yesterday of hosting the celebration of life for Charlotte Brooks. Cameron and Stephanie, I'm so glad to see you here today. But we celebrated the life of your precious daughter who only had five and a half years on this earth, but whose life made an eternal impact. And I would argue that her impact on this earth in only five and a half years will far surpass 
what most of us will do in 70 or 80 or 90 years. She made an impact. She left an impression. Your business is a reflection of her impact. Your lives are an impression of her impact. I want to challenge you, freedom. You have an opportunity every day that you wake up. Every day that God gives you a pulse, he also gives you a purpose. A purpose to leave a lasting impact everywhere you go. I'm not expecting perfection. None of us are that. But can we leave a positive impression to the best of our ability everywhere that we go? Let's stop making excuses. I'm just flawed. I'm just weak. I've got issues. Let's say, Holy Spirit, fill us up with your power. Give us the ability to make an impact everywhere that we go.